Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The Athletic. Alright Reds, Tony Evans here with Walk On, your Liverpool podcast from The Athletic. It's time to say goodbye. Bobby, Millie, Naby and Ox are all set for the Ramfield farewells on Saturday as the summer overhaul looms on the horizon. To provide their own cop send-offs, we've got James Pearce and Kiefer O'Neill. And let's start, as usual, with those three words. And you love them so much, Kiefer, let's have three from you. I've actually got them and they're already written down here. Um, so it's farewell, sweet printers. I could have gone with goodbye, sweet printers, but I think farewell's a bit more romantic sounding, isn't it? Farewell. Oh, yeah, very poetic, very poetic. James. I'm going to go for thanks for everything. Oh, very nice, very nice. And over on the Walk On Podcast Facebook group, you've been reacting to those departures. Mark Miles said, a sad day. Lewis Cotton, won the lot. Bravin Shaw, thanks for the memories. Roy Crosby, Nabby keys are injured. Yeah. And in brackets, he says, I thought I'd say it just one last time. <laughs> cruel, cruel, uh, that. I'd, I'd say a mixed bag in many ways. To join our community of listeners on Facebook, just search Walk On Podcast and join the group. I mean, the four of them that are going, there's been highs, lows. Some of them have fulfilled their dreams and others have been a little bit disappointing. So... We finished Tuesday's pod on Bobby Firmino, and we all know how we feel about him. Um, and hopefully, will he be fit, James? He's on course to be. Yeah, he, he was back in back in training at, at Kirby on Wednesday, as planned. I think Klopp said after the game against Leicester that Tuesday was a day off for those that had played. Um, and then Firmino would be in doing some work on his own and then rejoin the squad. So that, that happened as planned. Um, so, yeah, I'm... I think I think we'll see him as long as there's no issues in the next day or so. I think we'll see him amongst the substitutes, and I guess the the, the ideal scenario is you have the game one with you know ten minutes to go, fifteen minutes to go, and and then he's afforded that that goodbye because I think everyone wants to see him out there just that that one more for that one more appearance. But I, I'm sure Klopp will be banging the drum at, when he does his press conference on Friday that. Let's not lose sight. The most important thing is is winning the game, and, and and part of winning the game is going to be making sure they do handle all that emotion that's going to be around the occasion. Yeah, I, I mean we've talked a lot about Firmino, Kiva, but I think you're writing today about James Milner. I don't think there's been enough spoken about him really in the past few weeks. Yeah, I think because for me, you know, sort of that news came about. We were kind of, everyone kind of knew, you know, it was sounding like Milner was going to be saying his goodbyes as well. I think for Milner, when you think about him, I mean, the the sort of title in my head that I've come up with for this piece is just Mr. Everything because that's how he feels. You know, he, as someone who joined the club on a free transfer and it's probably been Liverpool's best ever 
free signing because of what he's done. He's obviously, you know, instilled that standard setting sort of thing, hasn't he? From training to games, he's, you know, been the player that, you know, if he's coming off the bench, you know, he's going to close and see out games because he's just professional in that way. Obviously had that season at left back, would play wherever you put him. I'm surprised we haven't seen him in goal um, or as the striker at some point. I mean, we've seen Stephen Colker as the striker, so I'm surprised we didn't see James Milner have a go as the, uh, the number nine. But yeah, he's just, he has been everything, hasn't he, to this Liverpool team. I think he's been such a key part of it. In the same way, you know, we were chatting about Bobby Firmino on the last podcast and saying, you know, what an integral player he was. And I think, you know, you look back at James Milner and think he's been one of Liverpool's best ever signings in reality because of what he's been able to accomplish and help Liverpool accomplish in his time at the club. Yeah, I mean, I was looking at it today and I thought, you know, you, in this alphabet soup of numbers we have attached to positions, a four or a six, you know, Milner could play anywhere, four, six, two, three, um, uh, probably eight, you know, basically he did everything. But a phrase that's gone from football these days is utility player. And sometimes it's said with a bit of a sneer, but like, it's actually a really good thing. Klopp could parachute Milner into any position that he needed him, and he'd know he'd get a good job, and he'd also be inspirational to everyone around him. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, players like James Milner come around very, very rarely, don't they? Someone, someone who is so well equipped to, to play almost every position on the on the pitch, and, and well, not only that, not only do they have the skill set, but they've got the attitude and. The application as well. I remember, I remember listening to James Milner after he first arrived at Liverpool, and him talking about, you know, the big attraction was when he'd spoke to Brendan Rodgers. You know, I'm going to be a centre midfielder, and that was always the feeling that at Man City, he was that utility man that that was dropped in, you know, here and there where when they needed a gap that need filling. Almost, he was almost like the one that would inevitably make way when when other players returned, and 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 it's ironic in a way that. You know that was what brought him to Liverpool. But one of one of the attractions was, you know, yeah, you're going to be a centre midfielder for me. And now we're looking back on you know eight years of magnificent service where where he's played absolutely all over the place for Liverpool, hasn't he? And um, you know, I think back to that season he had playing left back when Klopp had obviously had enough of Alberto Moreno, and I think Liverpool had tried to sign. I think it might have been Ben Chilwell at the time, and and hadn't, and then obviously didn't sign Andy Robertson until the following summer. And, you know, it was, I remember that, that that kind of epitomised Milner for me because, you know, when he would speak publicly during that season, he'd say, you know, I'd be lying if I told you it's where I want to play, but it's where, where the manager wants me to play. It's where I can do a job for the team. So I'll do it to the absolute best of my ability. And wherever he's been asked to fill in uh, across those eight years, across those 330 games, you've just known what you're going to get from James Milner, which is just 100% total desire and application and he's going to be sorely missed I think in a funny way it'll absolutely suit him the fact that Roberto Firmino will dominate the kind of the discourse at Anfield on Saturday and lots of the emotion will be directed at him and obviously his song will be chanted and on repeat but I think Milner's not I can't you know I don't think he's one for soppy goodbyes I think um I think he'll be quite happy that that Roberto will uh, or hog the limelight, and it's it's very James Milner like to to keep it more low key. When you think of that that number seven shirt as well, by the way, you know when he come to Liverpool and it was like, oh, James Milner's going to be our number seven. Just like don't know whether it fitted or not. 
And now you look back and he's definitely put his name up there with, you know, the great sevens of, of Liverpool and that shirt when you see it in, you know, 10 years time or whatever with Milner seven on the back. You know, I think it'll bring that feeling of what a special time it was, you know, to, to be a Liverpool fan and to watch this team. Well, definitely, definitely. And I'll tell you what, though, one of the sad things is we'll no longer have to do the, we'll no longer have the laziest story and journalism available to us every preseason. You know, Milner, Milner leads everyone in the bleep test. You know, <laughs> but you were speaking to me before and talking about him. And you were saying that when you speak to academy players, when you ask them, you know, who impressed them most, you know, in training and around the club, you know, the names they trot out. Yeah, definitely. You know, James, this will be the same for you as well. You know, when you speak to whether players that have, you know, trained with Liverpool's first team and then moved on from the academy or are still there, you know, a lot of the time the first name, you you know, you'll say, oh, you know, what what's it like training with these stars? And, you know, what's it like? And they'll, you know, mention Mo Salah, Mane, Firmino, you know, all these amazing players, Thiago, Van Dijk, just every player that you'd imagine it'd be amazing to to train with. And then they always sort of mention James Milner, Jordan Henderson, Andy Robertson as as players that almost are like not only set that standard, but look after them as well and welcome them in. And that's such an important thing, isn't it? Because I think they must used to go up to Melwood and obviously now a Kirby that are a lot closer together. That must be so nerve wracking walking into that set and Jurgen Klopp's there watching you and you know all of these players that you you know you watch on the telly probably a lot of the time and then you're training alongside them. That always come across that Milner was one of those characters that did sort of look out for the younger players and help them as well. And you know he's been a professional for such a long time. The I think that's been key to Liverpool, you know, even just for younger players in the squad throughout the season, for him to give them that little bit of advice or encouragement or just show them what it takes to, you know, still be absolutely, you know, at the top of his game for a long time when you'd imagine, you know, he could have quite easily sort of gone into the background and been more of a squad player. Maybe we've seen that a little bit more this season. But having said that, I think he's played, is it like 30 times in the the Premier League or something? So at the same time, you know, he's never not there to be someone to be trusted. And I think he's he's been important in that way as well, hasn't he, for you know, younger players, but players at the club and just bringing that squad together. And that was important in their success, wasn't it? Yeah, who, who's going to fill that leadership void? James? It'd be interesting, wouldn't it? Because I, obviously when on the back of Wijnaldum leaving a couple of years ago, you had that situation where I think it was Trent, Robertson and Alisson were added to that that leadership group. So if you know, Milner going does you know clearly create a vacancy there, you'd imagine Salah would be the obvious one to me because you know, he, obviously he captains his, his country and when you look at someone who leads by example, because there's different types of leaders, isn't there? You get People who who have got a lot to say with James Milner, I think fits in that category and is on you know is, is is ensuring that you know everyone knows exactly where they stand with him. But you know you can also be a quiet leader where you just you know people you expect people to 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 follow in in your footsteps in terms of the way you conduct yourself and and apply yourself. So I think yeah, Salah would be the most obvious one I'd have thought in terms of filling that void on the leadership group. But it's you know when you go through that squad, Klopp is. It's pretty lucky, isn't it? You know, when you, I think Trent has certainly become much more of a leader in the last couple of years, and we all know, you know, Robertson's qualities from 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 wearing the armband for Scotland. Yeah, definitely. Do you think he he should have stayed? Is this the right time for him to leave, Kiva? Yeah, I think so. Look, had he left last summer, when you know, obviously there was talk that he might, then I think. 
people would have sort of made peace with it. And I think that's what people are doing this time around because, you know, he's not getting any younger, even though it, it never looks like that from his performances and how much energy he puts into them. But I just think maybe it's a good time given the, you know, it is it is we keep talking about that transition, but I think it's important to build afresh and, you know, give that responsibility that he had in the team to someone else. Obviously, next season, you'd imagine Liverpool will have more and fresh new faces to pick from, certainly in the midfield. So I think maybe it does feel like the right time but, you know, I think quite easily he could have stayed as well and, and Liverpool fans would have definitely a, a large percentage of them would have accepted that just because of who he is and what he does. You know, when his, like I said, when his number goes up, you know that Liverpool are seeing out that game. Yeah, and you'd hope that in the, the famed analytics that they're talking about, they can build somewhere in those intangibles, that leadership, that the that, that thing that Milner's got, the, the never-say-die spirit. This is Walk On, brought to you by The Athletic. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Tony Evans here with Walk On, your Liverpool podcast from The Athletic. I'm here with James Pearce and Kiefer O'Neill. Okay, well, there's the fun farewells. I think we'll be less effusive about Naby Keita and Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain. I'm actually I'm actually quite sad to see Ox go in these circumstances because it struck me, James, that he was, until that horrible injury against Roma, Turning out to be one of the leaders of the of the Klopp revolution, and I had enormous hopes for him. And you can't blame him for an injury and never being able to get back to that level he was at. Yeah, I, I think Oxley Chamberlain or or leave with certainly everyone's best wishes, and I think there there will be you know a, a, f- a fair bit of respect and adulation for him on the weekend because I think he he's still got his place, hasn't he? In in what has been a relatively golden era for the club. His name will always be associated with this kind of the first half, if you like, of the of the the Klopp reign in terms of that that first iconic team that Klopp put together and and now Klopp's in the process of trying to build build another one. But yeah, you you can never forget just how impressive he was in those months leading up to that horrendous injury against Roma in the semi-final in what was it, April twenty eighteen. It was really cruel to, to see someone in such an incredible hot streak cut down in the way he was with, you know, what was, I think it was with collar off quite a relatively, what looked innocuous at the time challenge. Yeah. And then you know, he, he effectively did everything to your knee that you can possibly do in terms of all the major ligaments. I think it'd be wrong to kind of say he was, 
he wasn't influential after that because he still had a role to play. I think he he actually played a lot of football in the title winning season. So I wouldn't I wouldn't say he was never the same player again. But I don't think he I don't think he could consistently reach. I think that's probably the difference. He couldn't consistently reach the same heights. And then of course in the last few seasons, more injury setbacks. You know, other players stepping up and delivering in that midfield department, and he's. His role's been reduced and reduced to the point where I think he hasn't started a game for Liverpool now since that horrendous defeat at Brighton in January. As for Keita, it injures all the time. I think with Keita, I always felt a bit sorry for him that he signed for Liverpool and then had to wait a year, didn't he? I don't know that deal, how it sort of all worked out, but obviously Liverpool waited for him to come and he wore the number eight and it was all quite a bit of pressure on him to begin with. And then he, he just never really, you know, he, I think he found his feet certainly in, you know, different spells throughout his, his time at Liverpool, but never truly took off. It never felt like you looked at him and thought, yeah, absolutely starting every game. I mean, there would have been points, I think, when, you know, you would have had him starting over other players and different things. But I think there'll just be maybe a regret, a sadness with Cater because of what he could have been and what he could have become at Liverpool. But as I say, you know, he, he did also contribute like every other player to this successful period at the club. And I think you have to recognise that and know that, you know, he was part of that. He was training every week with this team. He was a part of this few seasons of, you know, Liverpool trying to, to win everything and, and getting back to where, getting back on the pitch. And he was one of the players a part of that. So I don't think you can take anything away from him in terms of that. But I think he, he does leave the club with sort of the what could have been and and that kind of question mark. I think we did see moments and games definitely from him. But as I think we chatted not long ago on the podcast, we maybe didn't see that enough. And like you say, the injuries were problematic as well to disrupting him when he did get into a bit of a run. I think, was it a run round the time Liverpool played Barcelona in the Champions League? I don't know if you remember that, James, but I feel yeah. like that was his ta- that felt like his time. And then was it an injury? He went, he went off injured, didn't he, at the new camp, I think it was. Having, having actually played well, I think, for 30, 40 minutes or something. And then I think he got a groin problem that, that forced him off. And yeah, I think you're right. It kind of like summed up his Liverpool career in a way that every time he reached a point where you thought, you know, I lost count the number of times I've written, you know, are we now seeing the real Naby Keita? You know, it looks like he's in a position to really kick on. And then, yeah, inevitably there would be some kind of setback fitness-wise that, that then felt like he was back to square one. And it's it's difficult to think of another Liverpool career quite like his, I think, in terms of all the hype that accompanied his arrival. I mean, he's still the fourth most expensive player in the club's history. And I think the fact that he's leaving for nothing at the age of 28, when we should be talking about a player coming into his prime, kind of sums it up. Anyway, it heralds a summer of change, doesn't it? This is going to be really... It's going to be a different sort of team. It's going to be a new new way. I mean, Klopp 1.0 was really successful and nearly won four trophies this time last year in such a state of excitement. And it's kind of fizzled out a bit for numerous reasons, which we've talked about all season. And we're coming into a situation where the rebuild, this is it. It seems... To me, Kiva, the attackers are in place, obviously. The defence needs a bit of work on, and we've talked about the midfields all summer, but Trent's new position is obviously going to make things different. I mean, how how many changes do you see coming this summer? Well, Liverpool certainly need to buy a couple of midfielders at least, don't they? And then I guess it depends as well what's happening around 
goalkeeper situation is Adrian, you know, going to stay, leave, that kind of thing. And, you know, what will happen with Kelleher as well. And I just think there's loads of other things sort of happening. Uh, Centre-back, you know, will a player like Matip or Nath Phillips leave the club and Liverpool will then have to go into the market. So it's going to be an interesting summer, isn't it? I think by the end of it, we'll know sort of where Liverpool stand. I think the end of this season has been important just to get that good feeling back the winning feeling and show that, you know, they've got a lot of players still capable of, of cutting it, you know, at the top of the league. And certainly, you know, Liverpool fans will be hoping for a, a title race next season. And, you know, I think we'll, it'll be quickly apparent um, from the signings that they make, but also from, I guess, those first games of the new season, whether Liverpool can still cut it among, you know, the best in the country. And, you know, you look at Man City and what they're doing at the minute and, you know, Liverpool, even with this sort of boost, seem maybe a little level below that now. So they've got to do something to to make sure that they get back there because otherwise, as we've said all season, you know, that fall can can start and it can start gradually. But I think the mood around the club has changed massively and I think that's because the winning games and ending the season on a mini high, if you can call it that. And then I think you know, if they can get deals done and get them done early, I think that will also bode well, I guess. Yeah, right, James, I'm going to give you the, the, the question that you get on Twitter all the time. Normally, with a, a hefty dollop of abuse, who's coming? Who's coming? Tell me who's coming. <laughs> um, you know, you know. <laughs> yeah, all these stories that I know that I haven't written, just I haven't got, got quite got around to it yet. Someone someone explained it to me recently as, as, as akin to someone spinning lots of different plates not sure at this stage which ones uh, are, are quite going to land, and I, I and I think that's genuinely where Liverpool are at. I don't think I don't think there is any certainty at the moment. I think you, you for a start, they don't know which European competition they're playing in next season. Inevitably, that is going to have an impact, not just in terms of finances, but also in you know in terms of pulling power. And yes, you know, as Klopp said himself, I think last week, of course, Liverpool is still an attractive proposition to players whether they're in the Champions League or not, but it definitely helps. You know, we take Alexis McAllister at Brighton, who we know that Liverpool are very, very interested in. Of course, if you're a Champions League club, that that's going to help. It might it might not be a deal clincher, but it's going to help. You know, Mason Mount, we know at Chelsea, is another one high up on the list. Gravenberch at Bayern Munich. Um, you know, so don't, you know those three. You know, th- those are the names that I keep on hearing when I speak to people that. You know, those are at the, the top of the list. And I'd expect Liverpool to sign a minimum of two, potentially three midfielders. I think it'll probably that might depend slightly on how much it costs to get those first two in the door and then what's left financially. And then elsewhere, yeah, as Kiva said, you know, there's a lot of variables up in the air, like what will happen with Kelleher. I, I think Kelleher will, will go if Liverpool get a decent enough offer. But it's probably quite tricky to say what exactly is he worth. I think, I can't imagine you'd think about selling Kelleher for less than 20 to 25 million pounds. Definitely not. Yeah, definitely not. Yeah, but it's you know but then it's like well you know of course he would want the opportunity to go and be a num- number one somewhere else but there's only a very small number of spots available at, at top clubs. There could be a bit of a domino effect there where you know say if I don't know if Emmy Martinez was to leave Villa, you know maybe that would open up a, a place there and you know there's been talk of interest from from Tottenham as well. Um, so, you know, of course, he'd need to be replaced. I think centre-back will be interesting, whether they think there is someone out there that they can 
they can bring in like another kind of young athletic type in that kind of Canate mold, especially if they're going to persevere with this, you know, the hybrid role for Trent, you know, that's, that's another decision. You know, again, is the, is the Trent role going to stay as it is, is this hybrid? Is it, is he going to become, you know, just a, just a, one of the midfielders? We, you know, we don't know that at the moment. So, um, and if, if that does happen, well, you know, do you look at right back and you think, well, actually we're okay because, We've got Calvin Ramsey, we've got Joe Gomez that can cover there. Um, we've got Connor Bradley, who's obviously done really well at, at Bolton. Or do you need to strengthen in, in that area? So um, it feels like we say every summer because it feels like every summer is massive. But this one is especially different, I think, because you know it is quite rare to have four such senior players going in the same window all for nothing. And there's some big gaps to fill. But I think I think what the last month or two has shown, and I think we talked about it on the pod probably back in February when this podcast felt like a self-help group when Liverpool were losing every week and remember we said you know you're never for all the doom and gloom you're never quite as far away as you think you are and I think that's kind of been proven with this last month or two of the season and I still think you add two elite midfielders into that mix and I think Liverpool will be serious contenders again next season. Yeah, definitely. I remember those days back in February when the podcast had started. I'm Tony. I'm a Liverpoolian. But <laughs> um, I, Kiva, it it is a a massive period of change, and what one of the things that always part amuses me and and part like offends me is that people don't seem to realise, as James said, how many moving parts are going on and how. There's how many intentions are there? But people change their minds. Players go, oh, yeah, you know, yeah, I'd, I'd like to come. You're in conversation with them. And then someone comes along with a better offer. And, oh, no, I'm going there. And, you know, nothing's written in stone. So we know the names that the club would prefer. But, you know, it may be that it doesn't happen. And that will probably spark outrage as usual. But, I mean, who do you think of the names that, we're talking about here would be best suited to this side. I mean, the midfield is Mounts, McAllister, and and Gravenbach. Yeah, I think you look at McAllister, and I think we've all kind of been watching him with a bit of a closer look, a closer eye on him now, haven't we? Sort of our magnifying glasses zoomed in a little bit more on his performances for Brighton, and I mean, he looks terrific at times, doesn't he? Just like a boss, you watch him do the same thing for Argentina at the World Cup, and I think he'd walk right into Liverpool's midfield. I've seen less of Gravenberch, but again, you know, a player that is highly thought of by many. And and Mason Mount feels like like the more interesting one and one that we've kind of come to terms with after it was initially sort of spoken about that, that Liverpool were indeed interested in him. I do think he's sort of almost maybe like a an Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain signing in a way. It just feels quite like Klopp's going to try and... Well, the parallels, I think... Are- I think the, there are parallels there with Oxley chamberlain because the same way Wenger couldn't work out exactly what the Ox's best position was. I don't think Chelsea have ever worked out what Mason Mount's best position is. Yeah, and I don't think Liverpool even might, you know, to be fair, because I think he can be one of those players that you could just sort of put anywhere on the pitch in terms of he, he'll just sort of do his own thing and gravitate to the places that he feels he needs to be. And I think in that way, you know, he's a highly talented footballer, isn't he? Obviously, we haven't seen too much of that from him this season, given, you know, Chelsea's uh, woeful, woeful season. But I think, yeah, Mount is an, an interesting one, isn't he? And those 
like three players that James mentioned uh, are ones that you could quite easily see joining Liverpool and getting on great, but obviously still a lot to figure out, work out, and I guess, yeah. Yeah, there's, there's plenty going on. And there's also change happening off the pitches in the James. Is, is there is a, a sort of overhaul taking place behind the scenes? I mean, we spoke with Rafa Honigstein about Schmadeker taking over in talks with a sporting director. Then David Woodfine, the director of loan management, has left. You know, Julian Ward's off, Ian Graham. Is that too much change? Um, is it too much change? I, I mean, I guess, I guess time will tell whether, depending on the the caliber of the the replacements that that come in, I think, I think it can be blown out of proportion. I think, I think it's easy to look at it and think, why is there so much upheaval? When the reality is, I think lots of those people that have been kind of moving on, people were getting excited about, you know, David Woodfine, the the loans manager, deciding to to, to walk away at the end of the season and understand he's, you know embarking on a on a new challenge but you think the way that Liverpool operate there's other people there that are involved in that process ready to step in and so I don't I don't see that as a big issue I think the, clearly the biggest one is sorting out the sporting director situation and you know there's been conflicting reports uh, reports on that hasn't he with uh, with you know there's reports in Germany that Schmadke was going to come in as a initially as a consultant just for three months and I know people at Liverpool have said that isn't the case, and that if if he comes in, it'll be it'll be it'll be a permanent position. Um, but of course, that hasn't got over the line yet, and we're we're very nearly at the end of the season. And 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 again, you know, you 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 want that sorted out as soon as possible. But the other side of that is Mike Gordon is a lot more hands on again now in terms of his role at the club, having had time away earlier on in the season. And and when you mix, you know, Mike Gordon who has the final say on every financial decision really in terms of the, the purse strings, you know, when you mix that with how influential Klopp is with recruitment and then with Dave Fallows and Barry Hunter, you know, the, the, the chief scouts, it's, it's, it's not as if there's like a big void there and there's no one there to hold those discussions because those kind of talks are going on all the time. Yeah, I think Gordon's renewed involvement is really important, especially for Klopp. Keith, it's going to be the last game in front of the Anfield Road end as we know it. It won't look the same after the summer. I spent my formative years in the Anfield Road. I mean, I, I started going, uh, not with me dad, you know, um, I started going about the age of nine and the Annie Rogan queuing up. It, it, it's changed, it's evolved, it's very different. But it's going to look, it, it, it's going to look pretty impressive, isn't it, by the time we come back in August? I mean, I think it looks better already, doesn't it? Um, yeah. I've sat on the, the Annie Road end a few times and, I mean, there's some seats at the back of there, the lower tier, that you cannot see the game from. Like, I don't even know how they've almost got away with taking money off people for some of them seats. I've been there and, you know, especially if you're tall, you just you wouldn't see the game, well, at least half the pitch or certainly the goal at the Anfield Road end. Obviously, it's an interesting end of the ground, isn't it? Because it's also you know, where Liverpool fans are housed with uh, the away supporters as well. But yeah, it's one of those sections of the ground. I think a lot of people will have a lot of happy memories and it's not as if, you know, they're just completely like, they're just improving it, aren't they? Making it better and making it a lot more seats. People will been, I think I've seen someone tweet that they've been on the, the waiting list for like 17 years and they got an email to say, do you want a ticket now? So I think oh, it's given, giving people that opportunity, isn't it? After a long wait on the, the waiting list. Yeah, in the old on the old pictures from the uh, from the seventies when Liverpool were attacking the Annie Road end, I can pick myself out on the 
sort of, you know, on the, the, the grainy screen. Not because I can see myself, but my mate had bright red hair and the two of us used to get to the ground, you know, it was for the gates to open, be first in and plonk ourselves on the rail at the front. Ah, the Annie Road. Yes, I love the Annie Road. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot... Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This is Walk On from The Athletic with me, Tony Evans, James Pierce, and Keith O'Neill. Well, it's time to talk about Villa, I think. Um, they've been excellent this season, certainly since they replaced Stephen, the captain, Gerard, from, uh, um, with Unai Emery, who is a top-class manager. Well, we're heading into it. I haven't won seven in a row. And Villa, I've had a little dip in form, James. I mean, they lost the last two, uh, Manu and Wolves. Ah, uh, you know, I mean, how difficult is it going to be? It's difficult to say, to know what to expect, isn't it? Because I think a couple of weeks ago, before those defeats at Wolves and United, you, they looked such a resurgent force that you kind of wondered whether, you know, Liverpool would be in a battle to actually finish finish above Villa. But um, they have stumbled. They, I mean, they beat Tottenham, didn't they, at home last weekend? But everyone seems to beat Tottenham at home these days, so... I wouldn't read too much into that one. But yeah, I mean, you have to admire the job that, that Emery has done there because, you know, Villa Villa did look at one point this season like they might end up in a scrap for survival and they've they've ended up in a in a chase for Europe in, instead. And, you know, they'll, they'll certainly they'll they'll have their eyes, won't they, set on set on that European spot too. I think they're you know they're eight at the minute, but you know, level level on points with Tottenham with two to go and they go only a point behind Brighton, although Brighton have got those those games in hand. So, um, so yeah, they you know they they're probably one of those teams as well, Villa, that would you know absolutely love to take on the challenge of the Europa Conference League if that's what if that's what comes their way by finishing seventh. Yeah, Kiva, they've been playing a very very high line, but do you think Emery dare do that at Anfield with the pace we've got running in behind? I think he will. Only like Liverpool, you kind of stick to what you know. I mean, maybe he'll pull it back a little yard or two, but I think that could be where Liverpool have a lot of joy. You'd imagine it'll be a game where Aston Villa can think, you know, they can upset the the sort of goodbye party, can't they? And it would effectively end Liverpool's chances of obviously qualifying for the Champions League as well. So they'll be there and wanting to do a job, not only for themselves, but they'll know, you know, that'll inspire them a bit more. But I just think given the occasion and the emotion of those goodbyes and just how, you know, the last game of of this season usually tends to feel 
at Anfield, the last game played there, is always quite a nice occasion, isn't it? And I'm sure it will be certainly an emotional one as well for a lot of people. So I think, you know, you'd imagine Liverpool never not score at Anfield, as we know, and they rarely lose there. So I'm, I'm not imagining it's going to be an upset, but you just don't know, do you? That's the thing. This is a Liverpool team in such a good run at the minute that you can't really see see them dropping points. But, I mean, it could quite easily happen with a team like Aston Villa, who've in the past few months completely turned around, you know, the way they, they look completely as a team. You're watching them and just, you know, not really... They weren't this team that they are now, was they? No, no, definitely not. And, um, well, you know, let's hope the, we keep the pressure on by a victory. But it will be an emotional day on so many levels. And in the seventh minute of the game, Liverpool fans will applaud the memory of Dan Kay. Dan was a brilliant journalist, a relentless Hillsborough campaigner, and a passionate Red. And as many of you will have heard before last Thursday's podcast, a former colleague and friend about James Kiva and our producer Guy, they all work together at the Liverpool Echo, his, his death has touched many within the Liverpool community. And I think it's a brilliant gesture, the applause, Kiva. He'll be remembered by the whole of Anfield. Yeah, definitely. You know, it's, um, I think... You knew that would, you know, fans and his friends have, have organised it. You knew that it would something that would have, you know, made him smile as well. And to think that he would have been thought of in that way. I mean, you've seen the, the outpouring of emotion and I guess grief as well. Tributes to him from around the world, pretty much, you know, from Liverpool themselves posting and having a, a minute silence for Dan ahead of uh, the press conference last week. I think, you know, still so fresh for, for a lot of people who are close to Dan. Obviously, I was myself and loved him to bits and, you know, we'll miss him greatly. And I think it's it's still quite difficult to almost talk about him. Obviously, wrote that letter to him, which felt like the perfect way almost to honour him, given how much he supported me, my work. And now he was a subscriber to The Athletic and would often sort of text me saying, love that piece on this or that. You know, he was just someone that, if you knew him, and I think a lot of people have got to know him just from those kinds of tributes that people have been reading. He just was a kind, genuine, caring, loving person and, you know, someone that I can't imagine going like to Anfield at the weekend and not somehow bumping into him and, and seeing him there. And yeah, it's definitely been a difficult time for a lot of people. Um, myself included and yeah, it's, um, I, I've managed to talk about him without crying which I think you know is a step forward and something he'd want as well but as I put in that letter he's someone that I think you have to when you do lose people in life close to you you, you have to take the goodness from you know your memories of them and from who they were and you know carry that light like I said in, in that letter you, you have to carry it with you and Dan was such a positive person. Liverpool could get beat, whatever. And, you know, like I put in there, I asked him ahead of the Barcelona game, what score do you reckon it'll be? And he was 4-0 or I said it was probably 5 knowing him because that's just who he was. He was so, so positive and just someone that you could talk to about anything, not just football. You know, he was there for anyone he could be. And, you know, we we know the work that he did as a journalist, definitely around Hillsborough and being at his funeral as well and a lot of um, families there of you know those that died at Hillsborough and you know they were they were mourning and and grieving a good friend and someone you know it was an activist someone who stood up for them and someone that got to know them and supported them through that time and you know that's who Dan was he he brought people together he was yeah just just special really I've got many memories I'll hold on to cherish and you know carry that light because 
that's exactly um, what he'd want us to do. I would think it's important that we follow his example in doing our best to bring to bring justice to the world, James. What were your memories of him? Yeah, uh, very similar to what Kiva said, really. I um, I worked with Dan for, for many, many years and, yeah, just an incredibly kind, compassionate guy that I, I just never, ever heard him once say a bad word about anyone. He just saw the best in people. I probably never met anyone who loved Liverpool as a city more than him, and you know, and it and, and rare as well in terms of his love for Liverpool Football Club was twinned with kind of respect for for Everton and for and for Tranmere Rovers, who he'd obviously go and watch as well, because he just wanted the best for this city, regardless of which which football team that was, and he was just you know you saw that in terms of being a force for good with his his work he did on on Hillsborough and. Just such a such a nice, genuine person, and yeah, I think it's hit all of us very, very hard because it doesn't seem quite right that you know he lived only half a mile from me, so I'd quite often see him running around Sefton Park, and it's strange to think won't won't see that again. And I know there's you know he'd, I think he'd be quite shocked you know to to be looking down on Saturday and think you know really this is for me this this applause on seven minutes. And I think there's plans for there to be a, a flag in his honour inside the stadium as well, which which is a lovely a lovely touch. And um, yeah, I think I, I actually went on a couple of the pre-season tours with Dan, especially it's coming up 10 years, actually. It'll be in July since we went around. It was Indonesia, Australia, and then Thailand on the way back in 2013. And he was doing the digital side of things, the video for the Echo, and I was doing the written stuff. And and I'll just I'll just always remember like being in Jakarta and all these manic Liverpool fans that were just fanatical would be in the hotel every day and they would just be hanging off Dan's every word because he was just an encyclopedia of knowledge of Liverpool Football Club and always had so many stories. Anyone who knows him, you know, he he could talk. You know, if, if if talking was an Olympic sport, he could he'd be a multi multi gold medal winner. Um, and that would be one of my abiding memories of him, just him holding court surrounded by all these um you know fanatical Indonesian Liverpool fans who you know and, and I know he kept in contact with them and because that was the kind of guy he was. He was just he just had time for everyone and everyone everyone loved him. Um and yeah um it'll be it, it adds another element to Saturday in terms of the emotion of the occasion. Yeah, and Guy, a producer, you're normally in the background, but you knew Dan quite well and you wanted to come on and pay your respects too. Yeah, I can, I can only echo what, what both Kiva and James have said about him. I mean, he, he was a champion for everything, whether it was sort of social uh, justice, whether it was Liverpool as a city, Liverpool as a club. And I think you saw that his, his funeral last week with the amount of people who, who turned out and wanted to show their respects. I mean, for me, I, I didn't, in, in comparison, probably work with him uh, as long as as the others. But when I joined the Liverpool Echo, uh, what four years ago? Um, it was it was the fifteenth year uh, on from sort of uh, winning the the Champions League in Istanbul, and I was really keen on our, our Blood Red podcast at the time to have sort of a series where we we look back through and, and spoke about it. I remember speaking sort of with with my editor and a few others, saying, oh, "I don't quite know how to to go about this." And they basically said, "Go and, go and have a chat with Dan. I'm sure Dan would have some some ideas." In the end, it ended up basically being a, a an avenue to 
for Dan to regale all of his stories about Igor Biscan, uh, all, all, all sort of the, the different unsung heroes, the different wrinkles of of Liverpool, the fabric of it, and, and James talking there, sort of the the role he played in sort of pioneering digital journalism uh, there as well. And I can I can very much see the scene of him him there, sort of chatting away and and keeping it. And I think for him looking down, I think he he would find it sort of. Bemusing the fact that Jurgen Klopp wanted to sort of pay respect to him ahead of last week's press conference. This week, the 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 applause coming in the seventh minute, where a guy who who never seeked the limelight and was often in the shadows, hopefully and rightly on Saturday will, will be front and centre in the limelight, in the sunshine, and on a day where where Liverpool sort of get ready to say goodbye to to Bobby Firmino as well, a player he absolutely adored as well. I think it I think it's only only fitting that he he is given that applause and and the honour of it that that comes with it. Uh, I didn't know Dan as well as you three, but what I do know is that he was the best of scouts. That's all from Walk On, your Liverpool podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Thanks to James, Kiever and Guy, as well as you for joining us. Well, Saturday will certainly be an emotionally charged day at Anfield, full of goodbyes. And we'll catch you on the other side, hopefully with three points in the bag. The Athletic.